0: Hello listeners and viewers, welcome back to Perspectives with Martina and Lisseth. Uh, and we are here today with part two of just the conversation we're having with Lisa um, around our Executive Women Leadership Series. And if you have not gotten a chance to watch part one, we definitely recommend you going back and doing that. And while you're doing that, you can also subscribe if you haven't. If you have thank you. Um, it was a really good first video Lisa talked a lot about her experience her journey starting out to where she now is in this, uh, in this great leadership position. But today we're going to turn it over a little bit and just talk about Lisa, I guess a little bit outside of work but also as it relates to her work. Um, she is a is a um, she's a, a working mom. like like so many moms and parents out here. And so we're going to touch a little bit just around her experience and kind of dig a little deeper. But before we dive in, I'll kick it over to Lissette with anything she'd like to say.
1: No, I think uh, just to reiterate your point, Martina, I think today we'll we'll definitely just dig in a little bit more um, to, you know, experiences. um, Lisa's a mom, you know, Martina and I don't have kids. So it'll be interesting to kind of hear your perspective, Lisa, on that as someone uh, who has navigated uh, the professional workplace uh, as a as a mom and and, and deal with, I'm sure with different aspects of it, but you know and definitely just dig into a lot of other things as you all know as you if you've been listening. We, we sometimes go on some tangents, so we might go on some tangents today uh, as well. But um, I think the next you know 35 to 40 minutes will just be really uh, digging in. To more of some, just some broader topics and you know and we'll kind of get specific as it goes, so you know I think we're off to a a good conversation today uh but yeah, I think Lisa will kind of start off with just a a really just broad question, and then we can kind of dig in from there, but as someone who is a professional working mom, can you just tell us uh like one or two things that really just tells us your your journey of that, you know, like what has been, whether it's been good things or maybe some um, barriers or just some challenges uh, that you've experienced, whether recently or when you, you know, you first became a mom, cause I'm pretty sure that experience probably was uh, a little, uh, little lessons learned, I think (laughs) as you become a first time mom, uh, but also wanting to have a professional
2: career. Yeah. Yeah. Where to begin with that? It's a a fantastic question. And I'm sure um, there are similarities in many women's journeys with this and differences, too. Um, There's so many variables. Um, But I think back, I'll start at the beginning, when I first became a mom and um, uh, my employer at the time did not have. um, And I think we talked a little bit about this last episode, but paid maternity leave. So certainly I was eligible for the federal um, policy that you get 12 weeks off, but it doesn't have to be paid. Um, And my employer did have short-term disability benefits. So because I was giving birth um, myself, I was able to take six weeks at at partial pay. So the first puzzle of becoming a mom and needing my, my income was figuring out how to take off as much time as I felt like I needed to physically recover and to, to take care of my, my new baby um, while balancing the finances. Um, And then you layer onto that, the return to work. So, so that's kind of the first part um, is figuring some of that out uh which which is not easy and anyone who's explored daycare costs i mean me my family we don't we don't have any relatives that live in the same state or town as us so um leaving baby with grandma was never an option for us um so we had to seek childcare um uh you know outside the home or other options and so that um is also a stressor when you're not making a paycheck for half of your leave <laughs> as well so figuring That out, but um, got, you know, got through some of that. And I'd say the return to work was um, um, interesting. You know, on one hand, as someone who is ambitious or career oriented, I kind of had to fight for my place back in the office and in the workplace, Yes, I my job, my title, all of that was protected legally, but my stature wasn't necessarily getting people to listen to me. You know, decisions were made while I was out, things were moving and coming back in and trying to re-find your place, um, and re-cement yourself and whatever hierarchy was there was a lot more challenging than I thought it was going to be. Um, Definitely took it one day at a time and, um, you threw in a lot of other challenges. When you first asked this question, actually, one of the first stories that came to my mind was, um, not just returning to work and being a working mom, but being a breastfeeding working mom, <laughs> oh. that, that is, um, a whole other component, uh, as well. And I know this is maybe a bit of a tangent, but, um, you all have talked about the book Invisible Women um, before. And that book really talks about how many systems, structures, policies, our world is built on the default male. And it was never so clear in the workplace as it was to me coming back to work as a mother. Um, There was nowhere for me to pump. There was no great place for me to store breast milk. I had to buy my own mini fridge. I had to. Um, you know, do different things. Twice, I've had two babies, and with each, I, I had a male colleague walk in on me while I was pumping uh, behind a closed door. So, you know, you just see these stories, these obstacles, you know, you're trying to refind your place um, in the workplace and in that hierarchy, like I was saying, but then you have to go remove yourself from situations every couple hours because you have to pump to feed your baby. So there's just a lot of dynamics and there's a lot of things that I think if you haven't gone through it, um, maybe you don't realize aren't very conducive in the workplace um, to, for, to being a working mother. So that new experience for working moms, I think is um, can be a traumatic one at times, can be a bumpy one at times. Um, can turn women off from the workplace because it's just too hard or too much to figure out or it makes more financial sense to stop working versus pay for child care so I think that's a really um pivotal time for many women in their career path and and time to navigate that so that's kind of answer number one those those early stages my kids are um, elementary school age we're getting close to middle school so I'll speak to what I can speak to at this point, but um, it evolves too. It, there are some things that maybe get a little easier in some ways and some things that get harder like sports schedules and school dynamics. Um, Cause as much as I've learned in the workplace to carve out flexibility for what I need and prioritize what's important to me between my family and my, my work. Um, it doesn't mean all society is coming along with that either. And so you start, I've started to experience these dynamics of, you know, PTA events or school events happen during the day, during the week. I'm like Well, that, that doesn't work. You know, that those things don't work. So there's a lot that's built at least in the community I'm in on the default that, you know, you have a parent that stays home. And so it's, it's, you're always choosing, you're choosing, your career, your work, or your, your family, and it's finding that balance. That um, I don't know if I'll ever say I have not figured out. I think it's a daily, daily uh, routine of small choices to to strike that balance um, and to um, keep all the balls in the air and move that forward. Because there's a lot of barriers. There are a lot of barriers outside of the workplace with just how society might view you as a mother or a working mother, and what you're able to be there for or not um in that regard too
1: when you said you're always choosing like I feel women are always choosing mm-hmm. you know and, and that just struck which is I think just throughout everything I think that's so true for a lot of women but I think definitely for for women who have kids you know and, and you know from when they first are born till you know, the rest of their lives, like you're always going to be choosing, mm-hmm. you know, you're always be a mom and you always have those choices and, you know, and, and things like that. So it's just such a great insight. Um, Just a tidbit that just stuck with me when you said it, I was like, man, we, you know, most women are always choosing and sometimes the choice puts you in a in a hard spot because like you mentioned having it, when you came back to the workplace, having to just establish yourself again and like you know and just that authority that you have to rebuild and and kind of things and I think like men probably don't even think about that or don't even have to because there's there's this automatic association that you know in whatever space men are they're looked at as a leader they're sort of that versus women you always have to either you know sit sit somewhere that's kind of a a location of leadership where you think leaders will always sit. Like there's all these things that people tell you to kind of do as women that can put you in like a position of leadership, whether it's standing a certain way or don't take notes in meetings because that makes you look like all these different things. But like to have to do that again, even though you already had it established, before you went on maternity, but just because you went for a period of time, it's just mind boggling.
2: Yeah. And I'll tell you, I had two, um, different experiences through each of my maternity leaves because my first one, I was in a work environment that was maybe a little more cutthroat. And, um, so when, when I was away from the office on my leave, um, there were people that just couldn't wait to take over, right, and, and kind of cut you out. Where um, my second maternity leave, um, I was a little more established in the position I was in. It was also, I worked somewhere else at that time, and um, it was like people were waiting for me to get back to make decisions. Like there, there was a different level of culture at the organizations at the time, and that made a difference too. And, you know, I think a lot of times women need to choose. I've had conversations with many of my girlfriends of what work culture do you want to be at when you are also raising a family? Yeah. And so looking for those workplaces, those organizations, and it's not just about, you know, the benefits of a flexible work arrangement or, or you know, um, maternity leave. It's also about what's the culture saying and doing, you know, are they valuing your role Outside of work or in your family um, as much as you are? Or is there that space? Is there space for that in the culture um, that you're in? And many women, back to choice, sometimes need to choose high salaries or good culture. Um, or, you know, there's a lot of different choices there. And um we all make choices, of course, but I think, you know, the burden of care and, you know, we're talking about parenthood, but if you're a caretaker for um, an older family member or someone else in your family, a lot of this applies too. Um, But, you know, we have to make those choices maybe more often than men um, in in our daily lives and in our careers. There's just
0: so much. That's why I've been like, I think from listening to kind of when you are describing having to breastfeed and how this, this gentleman walked in on you. So there was no lock on the there's like
2: there was no privacy in that moment? Okay, so it happened twice. I'll tell you <laughs> a little bit more. The first time it happened, the gentleman that walked into me um, was kind of an office uh, on me, was an office manager and had a key. Um, so the door was locked. But you know he knocked on the door and I couldn't answer it so I didn't let him let him in and he didn't wait. he just put the key in he was like knock knock key in open door you know okay. um, the second time the lock was busted and uh, um, and I'll tell you this this was a rough time because I was in the middle of um, I had just um had this person on a performance plan and they were, they were bringing back a written signed performance plan and just opened the door. And I'm like, oh, both times my desk is like facing the door, you know, there's no hiding. So, um, a little humor, I guess in that now, but mm, yeah, I'm sure at the moment (laughs) it wasn't a lot. <laughs> no, no. And there, I mean, there just aren't, um, um, the, the office we're in now, um, we moved to to this office a few years ago and in the original plans, there was no plan for a room for mothers and, um, the, there were several offices, um, I think maybe the door's locked. I don't even remember that, but, um, it was clear glass to the hallway. And so, you know, touring the space and looking at the plans, I was like, wait a minute. Like, we we have at least three women on our team, pregnant or out on leave right now. They're going to need a place to go um, uh, to pump, you know, to et cetera. So um, we wound up and convinced them to take one of the, the offices and put frosted glass up and reserve that um, as a, I think we called it the wellness room, but the mother's room or wellness room. And so, um, but, you know, it's just in the person, nothing against him, but who was doing all the planning was a man (laughs) and probably just wasn't thinking the way a woman would think who has had those experiences or who has tapped into that type of thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of, of, um, Situations like that, I think, for women and you hear about women um, pumping in the bathroom or, you know, just doing different things to make it all work. Um, That's challenging.
0: It, It still kind of blows my mind, even though we are talking about this, we have a whole series about this, that it almost feels like work culture or just work, the workplace in general is almost like it doesn't want women to work. And that I mean I think that is kind of what it's what the message is sending to me in like a lot of ways because when I think about it, and I think again for women, we just naturally think of other people. So if I'm thinking, if I'm designing a space, designing a building, I would try to make it all inclusive. And it almost seems to to men, and again, it's that it's that a default to male, everyone is not. Consider and not just talking about women but talking about people who may be disabled or whatever situation is I just feel women are often just more considerate of other people in that sense it often doesn't feel that way when you're looking at these just like you said there was a glass wall like it's a glass wall I mean anybody can see right into that And, Mm -hmm. and you know like you said if you have women that are that are that are in the workspace there naturally will probably be someone who will get pregnant or who will have a child and it's just I don't know it's just those things to me just become so natural to think about if I was creating a space where I wanted people to feel inclusive
2: yeah yeah well said absolutely
1: yeah I mean if we go back to the book uh you know Invisible Women there's a whole chapter just talked about design right the the way that communities are designed the way workplaces or just buildings and just society is designed and a lot of times it doesn't take into consideration i remember when it got it it talked about how you know there was a a point in time where like glass see-through staircases were a thing and I never once thought about like oh I'm walking up these staircases I'm like oh my gosh like people can see I'm like it just never crossed my mind at the moment as I'm like when they pointed out I was like oh my god I was like because I mean it's just one of those things where people like you're talking Martina most I mean most architecture designers are probably male you know we, we don't still have a lot of females in in, in those spaces or just this idea that, you know, society will always default to male or will always value that, mm-hmm. um, comfort level of the male versus the comfort of women. And just as, and it just goes into so many spaces, whether it's workplaces, designing buildings, you know, just building and, you know, you know, I think you talked about like the bathroom situation too, mm-hmm. and things like, that. there's just so many things that, it just makes you, to your point, Martina, it makes you think that society doesn't want women out and about, you know, <laughs> like don't be out and about, you know, stick to what you have to do. We're not concerned about your needs um, at, at all. And, you know, and that's the message that's reiterated over and over again, whether it's through policies or, or laws. I mean, as yeah. we were this, we, you know, we talked a little bit about Roe v. Wade in another episode. So I think it's, that comes into place, you know, and you see it, like uh, some people say it's a war on women and it's a, mm-hmm. a war that's just from like the beginning of time, it seems like we're always
2: fighting against it continually. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Another thing I've been thinking about, uh, so so part of being a working parent is just constant logistics, right? There's always logistics, you know, and um, even though I work further away, from the house than my husband, and I have a more demanding work schedule, I still cook every meal at night, you know? So there's just stuff there, but the other logistics, and back to what you were saying about the book and how systems or things are designed. Um, one of the things the book uh, calls out, and it has a stat that I'm not gonna get right, so I'm not gonna try it, but it talks about the percentage of women who are responsible for um the the commuting of kids, right? So dropping yeah. kids off at school or picking them up or taking them to their practices or their, their different things. Um, and uh, I was talking to a friend the other night about trying to get downtown into the office more, um, but the train schedules. So, you know, we're in the Chicago area. Um, I live in a suburb now, so I'm on a, a metro line. And so there's set train times. Well, school drop-off is between 8.20 and 8.30 in the morning um, during the school year. And there's a train maybe at like 8.40 that you might be able to hustle to get to, but might miss. And then there's not another one for an hour and a half. So if I need to get downtown, but need to drop my kids off at school, I can also go sit in traffic for an hour and a half and then pay an arm and a leg to park, or I'm just kind of stuck. You know, I mean, because the, the train times, the train schedule does not take into account what, you know, people really need or what yeah. is going on in different communities or or that type of thing. Like, how hard would that be? But no one thinks about that. And whoever's making that train schedule probably isn't thinking about, oh, we have working parents that will just be finishing school drop off by 830, 835 that might need to catch a train. You know, Like the, the, the world isn't built for that. It's an exception, not um, a, a rule, not the default. Um, yet, there's probably a lot of working parents out there. You know, it's it's and a lot of working mothers and moms in general. So when you start looking at some of those systems, things that just make life so much harder, that just make um, things so much harder than maybe they need to be, um, that you could fix some things, you know, you could tweak some things that would just um, help the logistics of it all.
1: That is so true. I, cause I drive in, thankfully I have to go in one day a week, so it's not costing me too much, <laughs> but I go in and I drive because if I have to leave, because my parents, I love my parents. And if y'all been listening, y'all know I have to take care of them, but if like, they need me at like 2 PM, there's no train that I can take that will get me to the house sooner I mean you know CTA you know just it doesn't it it doesn't work for me a lot of the time sometimes it does but you know the the metro which is what I would take here like it's right here it's only like a five minute drive from my house so it's like so close but the times you were just talking I was like like, I look at the time, I'm like, there's just some random. And then there's like a huge gap in the yeah. afternoon that have like nothing where I'm like, I'm like, well, if I have an emergency, or if I, the, it doesn't allow for that flexibility uh, right. for me. And I hadn't thought about like, you know, parents, because my sister also drives into her job because she's like, I can't depend on the train because if I need to go get my kid or something happens, I need to be able to just hop on and go um, and do that. And it's, and it is like, if I had to be more, you know, days in the office or just like, it would make me think like, what do I pick? Do I pick the flexibility and just take the financial hit or do I just
2: save the money and just hope that nothing happens in between the hours I'm at work? Right. I mean, seriously, I used, I used to be downtown every day before this lovely pandemic hit. And, um, that was a huge stressor. There were times that I felt literally stuck. I would have nightmares about it. Mm. Like I'd have nightmares that I needed to get from one place to another and physically couldn't get there because that's how it would feel, you know? And you, there's, there's, um, you do, you get stuck. And I know we're, we're in a big city and not everyone has the same dynamics, but um, it's definitely a challenge. Yeah, but even,
1: even commuting, even if you do, Get to like buses. It's just the amount of time that it can take to get from point A to B in a big city, and, and nobody really thinking about logistics or like allow you know designing really the city mm-hmm. or the streets to allow uh for buses to just be expressed. The things that you know, and I think a city like Chicago has tried and has, certain, but most of them are done downtown, and mm-hmm. that not helpful for the everyday person uh, yeah. who lives out on the south or west side in chicago but oh you brought up such a good point is so, it like it just touches on
0: so much it really did. and it just made me think about how us three you know we are somewhat the more fortunate side of this even though resources are strained uh it can be can just cause you know like you said you're having nightmares it can cause you know extra stress but it just makes me think about like you're saying Lisa, people on the West side, on the South side, like Mm -hmm. everyone is not located downtown, but that's where you see the most renovations. You see, you know, the most lines where you see buses running somewhat frequently, but it's just, you know, even even me as someone who who takes, you know, a CTA a little bit more regularly now, um it has been even worse (laughs) um I think definitely speaking from someone who has taken the trains it's you know has gotten a little bit more unsafe and um it just you know goes back to how deep these issues are just from a systemic level and really you know I guess in a way of what our cities such as such as chicago are really doing about this because i mean when i first moved here to chicago one thing that really appealed to me was the public transportation because coming from where i came from in the south public transportation was just not really you know it was a thing but the system was horrible it was probably 10 times horrible and so it was something i really looked forward to coming here to to the city but here after staying here for so long it realized you know it's just something else that's like it's not it's not that mm-hmm. great. Yes, it can provide you, you know, transportation to get somewhere, but you know, if, if you have somewhere to be on time, like you're saying Lisa, yeah. you know, you have to plan, even even like hours in advance. But in your situation, you can't always plan. You know, right. you have to, you know, you have to get your kids dropped off between this time and that time. And then you have to decide, okay, do I just wait an hour and a half or try Mm -hmm. to drive into the city Mm -hmm. and spend God knows what on on just on parking? Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just really baffling. Again, it just makes me think of all the the systemic issues that we have just around access to transportation, especially as it relates to parents and moms and just working parents Mm -hmm. in general.
2: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a bit, a a tangent on a tangent on this point but safety you brought up safety too with with cta and okay so typical work hours not even thinking of people who have to work shifts or or you know hours that you know aren't rush hour in the morning or evening that systems are built around um Well, here in the Midwest, it gets pretty dark at, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock. And then you have women commuting home on public transportation in the dark. I don't know how many times, especially living in the city when I would take CTA that, you know, I learned walk with a key in my hand and I, you know, you know, like mace and just like you learn tricks and how to be safe. Um, but that's something my husband never experienced. He'd get off a similar train, similar time of night, never think twice about it, you know, but the commuting hours, um, and then the safety of that commuting for working women, um, it gets pretty sketchy. It gets pretty sketchy, um, uh, for sure. And I don't, I don't know that that is, I know safety is thought about, but I don't know that it's really thought about in that context, um, all the time. That's so
0: true. No. And the book talks about that. It touches yes. on women. I, I think women, again, I don't know if this is international or here in the United States, but it's probably international. Women are the ones most likely taking public transportation. Um, and I know I know the author does talk about this this same situation where women are out either early in the morning or mm-hmm. later at night and just how unsafe it is. I mean, she even gives some really good examples that I cannot remember right now, but it is. I mean, it is very dire, the, the situations that women are often placed in, that again, it's not something that city officials, perhaps mm-hmm. even are taking into place, you know? And, and so it definitely is, safety is an issue. And I know here in Chicago, as I stated, taking the trains now, since everyone is kind of going back to somewhat normal, um, I've heard the stories, even the things that would happen at midnight, are now happening at nine o'clock, 8.30. They're happening earlier in the night. So I think Mm -hmm. safety is definitely, it's definitely one that's a big issue that needs to be focused more on.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Yeah, you reminded me, Lisa, I was a commuter student. So I'd have to go uh, to the North side, which is, Martina knows the North side and me don't always get along, (laughs) but I had to do it for college. I (laughs) I was there, but I remember being, like missing out on classes that I wanted to take because there'd be night classes, mm. you know, mm-hmm. or missing out on like events or things that I wanted to do on campus because it was like at 7 PM. I was like, if I stay, I have to leave later. And then I, the bus only runs to like nine. So I, I run the risk of missing it or even though the train is delayed, like all these things that I like missed out. But I also remember the few times that I did have to take a night class like there were times where I missed the bus or I would be on the bus. I'd be like, be me and like two other people. And I remember just sitting there. Like my mom would like w- be outside waiting for me to make sure that she'd keep an eye out when I was coming. Like there's, but I was walking, like I and thankfully the bus stop from my house is like two blocks away, but two blocks at like nine 30, 10 o'clock seems like forever when you're alone. And like to your point, Lisa, like I wouldn't have headphones on. I would have my phone on my hand. I'd have like something here. Mm-hmm. Like just, you know, these different things that you have to learn the care of am Always like I was always looking around, or if I was on the train, I'd always sit on the first car where the conductors at, like all these things that you have to do uh as a woman that, you know, for the most part, men don't always think right. about. Um, or even like men who are there who think that they're just trying to strike a conversation with you, and you're like, "Look, I have to fear all men because I don't, I can't, you know, I don't know you, can't trust you, so I, can't, I have to be just very careful in the area of all men in that situation, right? Because I'm yeah. alone, I can't really do anything. So there was just so many things, but it makes me think of just other women who miss out on things because they're thinking about safety, because they're thinking of something, whether it's opportunities, you know, mm-hmm. and all these things. And and we do miss out on so much because there's so many other layers that we have to think about yeah. um, that, you know, puts us back, whether it's academically, whether it's professionally, whether it's just in our everyday lives, you know, like just being able to do something fun because there's all these other barriers that just get in the way because we're we're women and society is, isn't designed to allow us to fully be mm-hmm. ourselves or fully be out there and just feel yeah. like we can be part of what's
2: happening in our in our society. Or well, there's certain norms, right, we're expected to conform to. I mean, uh, Martina Lizette and I have had a conversation in the past, um, and I'll, I'll refrain from going into it here. But it's a tangent about shaving legs and how unfair it is that I just can't say yes to going to the pool and drop of a dime with my kids because I I you know, there are societal norms that I'm not comfortable at this point rebutting them. I, in, mentally, I want to, I want yeah. to, but I'm just not quite there, you know, but those, bear, those things, those, yeah. there's mm-hmm. added layers, there's a complex web, and that's a lighthearted example, you know, when we're talking about more serious safety things, but, um you know, to your point, constant choices, constant and choices.
0: Is, and I, it just makes for Lisa, you're like, it's like a series of it's like a series of like, I think you said, little decisions are happening. And, you know, the, I want to kind of get us back on a track because I, I did uh, wanted to ask you. So as you mentioned, you may be dropping your kids off work, I mean, at, at school, and you're going to work. And so when you get off of work, you know, I know your day doesn't end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to, you know, yeah, tend to your kids. So yeah. can you talk a little bit? You know about that journey because i can imagine you might because you know you mentioned that you're cooking dinner every night you probably you may stop at the grocery store on the way home so how does that you know how does that go for you you know like a <laughs> typical day
2: after work maybe yeah i mean like you'd imagine i guess it's um yeah you know it, it's a it's a rush you get home and you don't get to like decompress the work day and maybe you had a really hard work day or or maybe not but whatever it is it's you know you're in a certain mindset and you're um coming then back into the home and it is i mean kids are especially young kids constant energy and they want your full attention and it can be hard to give it um and then there's all the things you need to do it's making sure homework is done it's making sure they have whatever clothes they need for the next day it's cooking dinner um, and then it's, you know, bedtime routines. And by the time I get done with that, I'm going to bed too, because I'm exhausted. And, um, you know, and again, you make little decisions when you're doing this, what are you not doing? Um, I used to before kids feel like I needed to respond to every email, even if it came in after hours, you know, so I was always checking or feeling like I had to keep getting work done at times, or if my boss emailed wanting something, I had to respond. And then post kids, it's, you know, looking at that with a different lens. Sometimes I'll respond and sometimes I'm like, Nope, I'm not doing it. Like this is, this is the only quality time I get with them. And it's for maybe 30 minutes between all of the chores of the evening and and bedtime. So that's how I'm going to spend it. And, um, just being really clear about that. And in that way, trying to find efficiencies other places um, so that your career doesn't necessarily fall behind or, or um, get hindered. Um, but I do think boundaries are important. And I don't know, I'm not always good at setting them. I haven't always been good at setting them. I'm getting better. I know some people who are great at it and some people who are awful at it. And I think most people I know who are awful at it are women, but... <laughs> Um, there are a few women I know who are great at it too, but, but I think those boundaries, sometimes there's this thought as women too, of if I'm not responding right away, or if I'm not on it, I'm going to get left behind, or I'm going to miss the opportunity. I have to work harder and do more to get as far as someone else. You know, it's that mentality that then goes into, to that rat race, Um for many, many women, um, for many people, but for many women in a different way, um, that I think is is an interesting dynamic where, um, you need to though have those boundaries and find efficiencies, but I think that can be hard. You get into a cycle where it's hard to do that. Um, yeah, where, where it's challenging to do that, but yeah, but yeah, life, um, life in the evenings is chaotic it's chaotic. So I've never been as tired as I have been the last 10 years. So <laughs> I bet. I've asked a lot.
0: Lisette. I mean, yeah. I, have, I, I could ask more, but jump in.
1: <laughs> no, I think getting into that conversation and sort of expanding, I think back to the book and sort of, you know, what you do is that unpaid labor, mm-hmm. right? That that a lot of women do. And it just reminded me that the book talks a lot about that and sort of highlights how society um, really regulates all of that for, towards women. Um, and it's never sort of the expectation for men. It's always sort of this sort of exception to the rule, right? Like you, you praise, you know, a father for like cooking dinner one night of the whole year you know or something like that just like this crazy notion of like oh my god they did something Where it's like that should that should just be expected like they should be cooking they should be cleaning they should be doing everything alongside their partner like you know that's the you know that's the partnership that's what I hope you know if I ever get married which may or may never happen (laughs) but you know like you know I think that's the expectation but because there's You know, you mentioned these are these norms. Mm -hmm. You know, like how do you deal with that, like in your everyday life with with those norms and those things, and how do you you know create you know that space to not become tired? You know, whether it's professionally or or in your personal life. Yeah,
2: I have found moments to be unapologetic. I mean, I wouldn't say there's balance every day or even every week. Sometimes, but I've gotten to a place where. I would um, maybe have felt guilt for carving out that time for myself in the past. And I don't anymore. I'm, I'm unapologetic about it now. And even little things. So I have a, a business trip next week. So early Sunday morning to really late Wednesday night. And um, my husband's leaving Thursday to drive nine hours for his family reunion fishing trip. My kids will already be down there. And at first I was killing myself trying to figure out how to make it work, how to like flip from the business trip and then a board meeting and then still try to meet them there. And I just was like, no, like I'm just it's not going to work with my schedule and they can go do that. And I don't need to feel guilty for that. I don't need to feel guilty for saying this is too much like in this instant, I can't make it all work. It's too much. So I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to let you have that experience. We're going to balance it. And um, you know, I spent a lot of years and a lot of times feeling guilty for things like that. Like if I can't make everything work, no matter what it does to me or how it puts me out, then I'm failing or I have a reason to feel guilty. And so a lot of self-talk <laughs> through this, but it's getting to a place of, no, I I don't need to feel guilty about carving out things for myself or valuing my own sanity, you know, and saying like that, that is too much for me. I know I, I physically, mentally, you know, will be exhausted and won't be able to handle that. And that's okay, you know, and, and being okay with that. But I need to be, I needed to be okay with it before I expect anyone else to, because you know, and then if I'm okay with it, yeah other people can deal like, and, and that's just, if they're not fully okay with it, it doesn't really matter. Cause I am, um, you know, another thing you were saying was that is, um, uh, you know, made me think of the concept of the mental load. Right. And, um, I mean, my husband is, is great and he tries. Um, and I know I mentioned cooking dinner every night and, and, um, yeah, you know, an example that comes to mind is he'll say, oh, well, just, leave me the ingredients and the recipe and the step-by-step instructions and I'll cook it. I can do it. Like, okay. (laughs) But the the execution isn't the hard part. Like it's, it's the fact that I am responsible for every single thing. The three of you eat every day. And I need to plan that out and I need to think about it. And I need to think about how long it's going to take to make and what time people have different activities and what time bedtime is and what time, you know, everyone will be home and how long it takes to cook and will we have the right ingredients? And if I'm trying to buy fresh ingredients, how long will they last? And therefore, what days do I need to make what? I mean, it's, it is, there's a lot of mental work um, that goes into this unpaid labor and um, women have a lot of mental work period. Um, But as a a woman who's an executive, my job is a huge mental load. That is one thing is the responsibility of of so many staff and their well-being and decisions of the organization. And it is what I signed up for. And I'm privileged to be able to do it. So don't get me wrong. But the mental load of that, and then the mental load of home life, there's no break. Um, And I think that's one of the things of you know there's women some women joke of oh i'm just going to be exhausted for 20 years and we kind of accept that you know I'm like I'm just going to be I exhausted use, no, no, <laughs> um, because, <no. laughs> you know but but that it just becomes it just kind of becomes the norm and um, maybe it doesn't have to be
1: we have to be norm violators <laughs> i like
2: that but so do. let's let's talk about that for a second too, because another thing that was brought up in the book, and this is something I have experienced as a woman in nonprofit, a woman in fundraising, a woman that works with, you know, various executives, but Um, it talks about, and and I don't remember the name of the study, but a study from about a decade ago about, um, that in a male dominated context. So if you're in a room that's normally dominated by men, in my case, many times that's like boardrooms or things like that. Um, but it could be any industry that's male dominated. So in that male standard context, um, women are seen to be more assertive than men, even if they say the exact same thing. I'm talking about same tone, everything. You can say the exact same thing, but in a male environment, if a woman says it, it's seen as more assertive than if a man says it. And that struck me a lot because I've had many situations with donors or in meetings where that has happened to me. I've asked a a very professional but direct question and I get a response of what was in your coffee this morning, Lisa? Like that's really direct or that's your body language is too assertive. Um, you know, or you are like, I have had this from board members, from donors, um, you know, multiple times over. And I know my male counterparts, if they had said the same things, I've heard them say the same kind of things. They do not get that kind of reaction. What, whatsoever. Um, so that norm busting that, that you were talking about, it made me think of that a little bit because that is another challenge. These yeah. norms that are expected on how we behave mm-hmm. um, in general in society and then in more male-dominated, traditionally-dominated contexts, um, it is seen as more um, uh, jarring to people, men and women alike, if you're not following a norm in a con, you're, or if you're in um, a place or a situation where women normally aren't, um, in a way women normally aren't there. And so um, that that has been something I've run into many times in my journey and my career progression, and I'm sure I will keep running into it um, as well. But that really struck me. And as we talk about those norms, it's it's not just having the courage to bust a norm because not everyone's going to accept it. And it can backfire sometimes on YouTube.
1: We actually just finished recording an episode where we talked a little bit about these norm things and sort of the box that society has put women in and sort of that. A uh, very aggressiveness response that men particularly men have towards women who just confidently say something like it's not even aggressive it's just like like I'm just saying this and if you say it as a fact versus a question you know like these things where it's uh it is but you know it it's definitely um she says that it's because uh these norm violations quite simply are seen as aversive and are often associated with strong negative emotion. So people will respond like you said, like, what was Mm in your coffee? You're like, Oh my God, like you're being rude. And it's like, when Mm -hmm. am I being rude? I'm just, stating a fact mm-hmm. or pointing something are. out that any other of my male colleagues would. But because you know, spaces of leadership, particularly and you're in a lot of those spaces mm-hmm. and a lot of you know women who are in that fundraising and things are male dominated or have been male dominated for so long. Mm-hmm. When you come in as a woman and you just present yourself as any other male colleague would you're seen as you're violating a norm, you're mm-hmm. stepping out of whatever, and, um, you know, you have to be, like you said, you have to be unapologetic about it, and just go at it, and you know, and hopefully other women will, you know, follow yeah. suit and, and do the same thing, but it is scary, I mean, yeah. I was, for an introvert, it's just scary to step out of
0: <laughs> the box,
1: <laughs> but, like, I can only imagine, but I think, Because if I was, I mean, I, I've been in situations where sometimes things are called out and I get very upset. And then my, you know, social person comes out and I'm like, Mm -hmm. look, this is not it or things like that. And I think we more have to be that way. And to your point, just, you know, really support each other. And I think this conversation is just a small piece of what Mm -hmm. we can do to kind of bring that about. But But yeah, no, I think it's, I'm so glad that you brought that up and I know we're kind of going to start probably closing out um, around it. So I'll kind of turn it over to Martina and maybe you have something to close it Mm -hmm. out or something to say.
0: Well, I just feel from the conversations I've had with you and just as much as um, Lissette loves, love like just having you in her life. Mm -hmm. And even now, like I've gotten the chance to speak with you and learn a little bit more about you. I think anyone who works under you is to feel very special because you seem to be someone—a supervisor, a boss, an executive—who actually cares. And you know, I think sometimes that's not always something that that we see. And I think the way the world is happening now, it's—you know—it I can I, I cannot imagine, but I can somewhat, you know, it's probably really difficult at times being a supervisor or having having people work under you because if you're if you're doing it right it probably will be a little stressful because you do care about those who are who are working with you and working for you um so thank you for coming on and just sharing your story and I think kind of my final question for you is what do you do for Lisa time what is something you do to kind of like the kids might be away your husband might be away how do you just enjoy life if you if you don't mind sharing
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm actually, um, in a few minutes going to go to my regular workout classes, which has become over the last couple of years, a, a true godsend to me. And so I do, um, Everything from, I have a group of ladies I do Zumba with, and I'll tell you, nothing gets rid of the stress like dancing it out sometimes. And I have this instructor that has more of a, a hip hop flair to it, too. So I love that. <laughs> um, but then I do boot camp and strength classes, too. But the thing that's great about that is um, I do it at the local Y, and there's a community around it. So there is now a community of people that, um, yeah, I'm just really connected to. So that connectivity. I think helps. Um, when I have the house to myself, I binge watch TV and I order or cook myself a meal that no one else would eat, but me (laughs) (laughs) just enjoy that. I do love to read when I can get away. I love being on a beach. Um, but you know, that's not often, uh, but, but beaches tend to be my happy place too. So, um, Huh, yeah long walks sometimes as well during COVID it was a lot of long walks um uh so so that too but That's movement helps me movement helps me and then that unplugging watching something where I don't need to think and just unplug for a little bit yeah is always nice it's the simple thing sometimes so it, I have to it really love is love like it's not I wish I had a fun answer like I go skydiving but you know I'm look I'm Zumba's fun
0: I've done Zumba I, I really like Zumba I mean and I'm not one that dances but I say I love Zumba so I'm right there with you with that um well thank you again and I'll just turn it over to Lisette to take us on home yeah
1: well again thank you Lisa thank you to our you know viewers and listeners for joining us on this second episode with Lisa she will be back this won't be her final there's so much more to, to to uh uh, learn from, from you, Lisa, and just, you know, just much more conversations. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to talk to you more often than other people, but um, thank you again for, for sharing your insights, for sharing your stories and your journey with us, and, and hopefully uh, other women can can see themselves and, and then learn and just feel encouraged, you know, to step out of whatever box you haven't put in or, or think that you have to be in Uh, because there's definitely a lot of, you know, women out here who are willing to support uh, each other and and be there. And, you know, and hopefully this will kind of just encourage others as well. Uh, But we'll be back, uh, you know, with some more episodes, more conversations. So tune in, make sure you're following us on Instagram uh, and Facebook so you can get notified uh, when episodes go live and you can see what we're up to Um, so thank you again, and we will talk to you, uh, soon.
0: Bye everyone.